We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Breaking news, Terry Rozier. He'll be the next starting point guard of the Charlotte Hornets. Step back, wide open, and it's good! Terry Rozier! All right, what's going on, everyone? And welcome in to another BuzzBeat, your favorite Charlotte Hornets podcast. This episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Visit betonline.ag and enter code BLUEWIRE to receive your 50% welcome bonus. This is Richie. I'll be joined by Spencer and Brian as always today. On our previous episode, we discussed the ramifications of COVID-19 and how we think the rest of the season is going to play out. So give that a listen if you haven't done so already. On today's episode, we're going to dive into a couple of uh, college prospects here. I know it seems a little bit early, but uh, with the the way that the NBA is going and the, the season's up in the air here, I think this is no better time to start talking about college prospects. Brian, um, how are you handling everything with this lockdown and being cooped up in your house all day? It's weird, man. Um, you know, I don't necessarily mind being being cooped up in my house because books to catch up on, draft prospects to catch up on, uh, TV and movies, stuff that I usually wait for the basketball offseason. I'm able to actually get into that. Um, but yeah, it's just sort of like the the the, the more macro issues. Uh, is it basically feels like every bit of news that you read um, is is more troubling than the next. And it's especially weird too. Like I don't know how it is with you guys down in the Charlotte area, but like it's a beautiful day outside here in Raleigh. It has been basically every day for the last week. So it's it's just this weird juxtaposition to like you're reading news on your phone. The stories are depressing. And then if you look out the window or walk outside, you know, you're like, oh, the world isn't ending quite yet. But it's just uh, it's weird. But I'm, I'm handling it day at a time and just, you know, following all the protocols. How about you guys? Yeah, I'm trying to keep myself entertained, uh, playing video games, uh, keeping up with Beckett. We've been taking Beckett on a couple of strolls around the neighborhood and stuff like that. Uh, but, you know, with school being out and me being a teacher, there's a lot of going on with the, the digital learning and us getting prepared for, like, presenting topics and, and assignments online. Uh, it's going to be interesting the ne- next couple of weeks because this week and next, a lot of the work is, I guess, is not expected or required. But if we're out after those two weeks... 
then they're going to actually start having to take grades, which is interesting. So I'll, it's all last minute stuff in terms of my work, which is understandable, but uh, it just doesn't make it easy. What about you, Spencer? Are you keeping yourself entertained at, in your household? Yeah, my job is keeping me plenty entertained. Uh, I worked remotely for like six months when I first moved back to North Carolina. So I already have an office set up, which is nice. And uh, there hasn't been a dull moment <laughs> since we started the work week with all that's going on. I mean, that and that applies to every industry, higher education, I think, uh, is certainly chaotic right now. I mean, most places are moving towards, um, you know, online school and that's creating budget crisis and et cetera, et cetera. So it's, uh, yeah, no dull moments. It's been fun few days. Very, very strange news and, and uh, strange times. And we just don't know, you know, when the end is and when things are going to start looking up as well. Quick news before we get into these college prospects, the Hornets and their players uh, partnered together to provide financial assistance to the employees that have lost wages, those part-time employees, because of these cancellation of games, which is a great gesture uh, to all the ushers and the retail workers and all those people who are affected by this. I do think it's awesome, too, that they decided to kind of keep these donations anonymous among the players so these players don't feel compelled to kind of compete against each other. Uh, so it's definitely good news on that front, and it seems like a lot of organizations are doing the same thing. Let's go ahead and jump in. Let, let's go Tyrese Halliburton first. So Tyrese Halliburton, uh, sophomore out of Iowa State, uh, 6'5", 175, 20 years old. I, I think let's just start with the positives, then we'll go negatives, and then maybe to kind of wrap things up, maybe if you guys have a comparison on maybe who he plays like in the NBA today. If not, uh, maybe just kind of give him like a ceiling or a floor type of comparison there as well. Uh, so let, let's just start with his strengths. I know you guys watch this guy more than I have, but to me, I think the biggest strength of his, he's a really talented passer out of a long, big guard, uh, whether it is on the move and transition, whether it's on the move out of pick and rolls, uh, that's something that's going to be able to translate right away. Uh, I think that he also has the length and the length is going to you know, affect two things. On the defensive side, he's going to get his hands in the passing lanes. And then on the offensive side, he's going to be able to get to the rim and finish at the rim because of his length. Depending on whoever's guarding him, he can finish over them. He actually finished 46 of 62 at the rim this season, which is a really good number. And also, shooting the ball. Uh, we've all noted this uh, in a text message thread that his shot form is pretty funky looking. It doesn't look very fluid, but he has shot the ball really, really well from behind the arc in his two seasons at Iowa State. I think both, both years uh, was above 40% there. And then the last thing that I kind of want to mention with Halliburton, uh, his basketball IQ, knowing where players are going to be and when to cut and when to make the pass, it seems like he can kind of predict things before they do happen. And I think that's a good thing to have out of a guard. And I'm not really sure what position he is going to play on the next level because his height might suggest a point guard. I'm sorry, a shooting guard, but his skills might suggest a point guard. So, Brian, I'm going to turn it over to you because you did have a, a Twitter thread here on Halliburton. Uh, what, what, are, what are the some things that you like about Tyrese Halliburton? Yeah, I think there's a, a lot to like with Halliburton. Um, I'll sort of start with some of the, the things that I think you notice first when you watch Halliburton play. Um, first is uh, his body. Um, he has like, and he just, he just turned 20 like three weeks ago too. So he'll be 20 uh, like when the NBA starts next season, whenever the hell that is, I guess. But um, 
good frame, really skinny, really skinny. Um, and he wears a sort of like short shorts that it sort of uh, almost like over exaggerate just how long and skinny he is, but sort of like the prototypical long wing that basically every team in the NBA uh, uh, covets long arms, quick hands. Um, I mean, obviously he needs to add weight, but I don't even think it's, I think the weight gain is almost less for just like opposing teams trying to post him up. I mean, I'm sure that will happen, but I think for the most part, it has to do with one-on-one defense as we sort of talked with Malik Monk in his own weight gain this season. I think it's finishing better through contact at the rim. That will be important. That has been sort of one of the knocks on Halliburton uh, is his ability to finish through contact at the rim. He's been better. I think this season, higher volume efficiency dropped a little bit at the rim, but like he's just a much, he was a much different player this year in terms of utility usage, playmaking duties this season. I mean, it was around like 11% usage at, at Iowa state last year, which is just a crazy small number. And I think it would be big for him to add some lower body strength to to make him just more explosive, a better first step, um, more powerful on drives from 20-plus feet out. Like, I think those are sort of the biggest needs for weight gain. Um, and then, Richie, you were sort of referencing the shot, and we were texting about this last night. Mm-hmm. You know, it is, it is a funky shot. It's something that you're going to notice when you watch him play. It's a bit of a, a set shot or a, a push shot. Um, and for some guy that's tall, big guard and is so long – it does seem weird for that. He has this sort of like low compact release. You, I compare him to someone like Devin Vassell, who's of a similar body type and Vassell's shot. is just so the release is so damn high on his jumper. And, and that's not the case for Halliburton. It's much lower, but I think overall the mechanics are mostly fine. Like, wrist locked you can see his arm i mean it's his upper arm is is parallel with the court elbow 90 degree angle like i think he shoots a fairly a fairly decent shot he was not bothered by closeouts much in college and i mean what 74 percent effective shooting on catch and shoots on a pretty high volume is a monster number had some good luck running off screens like fading to the corner running off flare screens i don't know if there's a lot of utility for this guy as like a movement shooter on the next level but um but i but i but i think it's an area for for growth and for for a guy that was able to sort of play on and off the basketball uh that could be in college that could be something that that serves him well and uh-huh. perhaps we can get into more of of some of the concerns with him as a potentially a primary initiator versus secondary guy in a little bit i do think there are i don't worry about this guy being able to make a shot especially when he's open and i think there are perhaps are concerns with him shooting over the top of nba level closeouts like it's not the big 12 anymore you know um you may not be bothered with college level athletes but what does it look like when you get to the nba when he does beat a closeout he's pretty dependent on selling for a floater yeah. Great numbers, great numbers on shooting floaters, but you'd maybe like it if he got all the way to the rim a little bit more, but he does have some, I mean, he can shoot some really crafty and clever floaters with some nice touch from, you know, straight on the basket or from the side, but there are just time, like a couple of these times you're just like, you wish he would go all the way into the rim um, did not get to the free throw line very often. I think like just 2.2 free throw attempts for 40 minutes, again, settling a lot for, for floaters and only seven dunks, last season as well too. And and I think it'd be a good idea for us to talk about some of his shooting off the dribble as well. But since I've been rambling along here uh, and I also like, would like to get onto his team defense at some point too, because I think that's a big strength of his, but uh, Spencer all about, so, so that's not me just rambling here. I'll, I'll go ahead and turn it over to you about Halliburton. 
Yeah, I mean, I can't add a whole lot after that. And Brian did a, you know, has has a great thread on him on Twitter. Admittedly, I, I didn't get to as much of Halliburton as I would have liked uh, here in the last few days. I, what jumps off to me first, and I had mentioned this to, to Brian and Richie before we jumped on and started recording, is I, I watched him play, I, I think it was Michigan, Brian, which I, I think in the Bahamas and one of those preseason tournaments. And, you know, immediately mm-hmm. he just jumped off the, the page at you because you just look at him and you're like, wow, here's a lead guard who has – uh, elite length, right? Yes. Um, and so you just look at him. You don't even have to watch him play, and you're like, all right, I'm, I'm interested. But his feel for the game is is pretty damn close yep. to elite, too. Yep. I yes. Think. Genius and, level. Yeah. And I think that among everything else, because, again, I need to do more research on him to be able to talk at the level Brian's talking about him right now, but his feel for the game is obvious. And I think that – you know, he, last season, which I guess was his freshman season, at Iowa State, nine point two usage percentage. This year, twenty point one usage. So, like, his role was elevated so drastically, um, and he answered that role and he answered the call to be a leader on the team. I always like guys that are able to do that. You know, their, yeah. their coach looks at him and says, "All right, uh, everything you thought about last season and what this team asked you to do, we're going to ask you to do." Yeah. you know a hundredfold more this year and and he did a very efficient job at it i mean 35.3 assist percentage um that's a big time number and the turnover number was higher too but it's still like a two to one assist to turnover mm-hmm. ratio which is always solid so yeah i mean he shot the ball really well i i i think that you'd be hard pressed to look at his shot as brian was mentioning uh and think oh man where do i put this guy on my team you know but <laughs> it went in to you know yeah. like 42 percent clip which is really really high and so yeah, I just think that he's the kind of guy like Richie. You mentioned earlier. Let's do like you know some kind of comparison. Right. I don't really like the two names that popped in my head. He reminds me a lot of SGA. Yep. You know, and yep. I know they're different. I think yeah. SGA is probably a better ball handler than he is, um, mm-hmm. but he reminds me of him just body type wise. And then you know, I think his floor is like like a, a Michael Car- a Michael Carter Williams yeah. type, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, you know, but I, I gotta say, I, I think whoever drafts this guy is assuring themselves they're getting a rotational player for the next, for that rookie contract. I mean, he's, I think he's pretty dang close to a can't miss in this draft. With all this talk about these college prospects on this episode and no games currently in college basketball or the NBA or NFL, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Bet Online still has hundreds of places to wager, from their online casino to poker and blackjack, all open 24 hours a day and all online. Sports aren't totally done. There's still mixed martial arts and esports is on the rise. If you're into entertainment, you can bet on American Idol, the elections, the spelling bee, and even Nathan's hot dog eating contest. Be sure to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your new ticket to online action. Now let's get back into the show. The one thing that I like have concerns with or question marks with, and kind of Brian started to mention this, is his scoring ability with the ball. I, I think when he's shooting the ball from behind the arc, 
I, I think you know most of those points are going to come off of catch and shoots. He's he's not going to be a guy that pulls up for three by any chance. And I, I, w- I do wonder if his shooting form plays a factor in that because it does seem to take a little bit longer to get off a shot, you know, which obviously hinders your ability to score off the dribble. I've noted that, you know, Brian may disagree with me, but I don't think his handle is as tight. It's very mechanical, methodical. He's not going to, he doesn't have a lot of wiggle in his game and breaking down players. So to me, the question mark that I have with him is kind of what position is he going to play? If he does play point guard position, he's a very good passer, but it also limits his ability to kind of shoot off ball a little bit if you're putting the ball in his hands a little bit more often. He doesn't have the strength like Brian mentioned, so he's not going to be driving the ball into you know many opponents so it's kind of this give and take with this guy where, where do you play him uh, I think that his shooting ability is best suited off ball but I think his passing ability and just seeing the game quicker than others is probably better suited on ball and SGA might be a great comparison if you're using him as that point guard role yeah and that's yeah. the easy comparison I think because you know SGA just came out you know so I'm just but mm-hmm. I, I will say this too about the positional question with him there's a lot. I mean, Oklahoma City is like example A, right? Yeah. Of the three, like, they, there's no point guard. Like, Chris Paul's a point guard. Sure, he's a lead guard, I guess. But, like, they take turns. They truly let Schroeder, Paul, mm-hmm. and SGA just like, all right, who's hot? All right, you got the, it. Run the those offense. Number, you know those I mean? numbers are – those lineups with Gallinari are crushing this year, too. Yeah. So, I mean, so they, they let whoever's got it going run the offense. And I think that if you're drafting Halliburton – hopefully you're a team that already kind of has a mindset of that brian before we jumped on here and i i agreed with you you were like i don't know if he's the guy for charlotte or maybe you said that while we were recording but yeah now that i'm thinking of it i'm like wait Devonte terry monk. yeah yeah monk when he's back and mm-hmm. and slide in uh slide in this guy halliburton like i don't know now that i'm thinking yeah. about it maybe it can work yeah well i'll say like i think the fit with him like on court makes sense in charlotte my only thing would be like if the hornets end up with like the number five pick. Yeah, I, I don't know how these, the, yeah, how the draft order is going to be right. set now because I don't know how the season's going to finish. But like, is that too high? That's my only. That's my only. Are, you know, are you not swinging for the fences enough? If you take that's that's my only thing with him on that. I like the SGA comparison. Um, it's interesting. They're different. Like SGA was so damn good at finishing at the rim when he was mm-hmm. at Kentucky, but he wasn't a shooter. And that in Halliburton is is a even though the form is funky is a great shooter. I I, I think the MCW comparison is that he's like MCW with like with a shot and with much better feel, much better passer. I think the Dejounte Murray comparison is sort of interesting too. Like another proto big guard, yeah. good defender. And this one, this was my sort of like off the map comparison and it's one that if you were to look at their bodies if you look at the wingspan Halliburton's wingspan is way is much bigger than Ty Jerome but I I, I kind of think there are like the big combo guard like play is he a one is he a two like we went through the same conversation with Ty Jerome all hmm. last season leading up to the 2019 draft like you know his first step isn't good but if you give this guy a ball screen like you know he's gonna get you a good shot and obviously Halliburton wasn't used off the off running off screens the way Ty Jerome was last season at, at Virginia when he was like one of when he was arguably the best movement shooter in the draft. But Halliburton on a much smaller sample was good in those situations. And you're like, holy hell. I mean, Halliburton mm-hmm. in Virginia's offense a season ago would have been a, a stud. If you put him in Kansas's offense this season, he would have been a fucking stud. Like yeah. it's important to remember his pick and roll passing is so damn good. 
But like the guys he's helped, the guys that he's setting up, like they're, I mean, it's not like he was playing with scrubs at Iowa State. You're like, God, if you put him with like actual A level personnel, what this guy would have done in terms of assist numbers, uh, with his efficiency numbers, which were already almost perfect. I mean, he was he's an advanced numbers uh, a darling. He really is. But yeah, to the to the, I get the concerns with pull up shooting, and does that factor into his concerns with him as a lead ball playmaker? Right. I suppose even you know Ru- maybe Rubio's a little bit of a comparison as well too, but that, maybe that's a bit of a stretch. But um, Halliburton, 101 threes over two seasons at Iowa State. Only 12 of those unassisted. But, you know, if defenders went under screens, he can make a shot. Like, he's still going to force, in, in ball screen action, I think he's still going to force defenders to have to fight over the top or force a switch or something like that. He can't just let him walk into threes. Um, and he did hit a couple pull, a, a couple step-back threes. Like, he's got that in his game. The shot, the release is low. It's funky. And at times, I think he, was, he got sped up and took some bad shots this season. But for the most part, I don't think the release at all is, is overall is really, really that slow. As far as the handles go, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm with you to an extent, Richie, actually. Like, they're functional, I guess is how I would say it. They're like, they're okay. Uh, maybe a little robotic, a little mechanical, yeah. but I think he's, he's solid. His fundamentals are good. But it's almost like um, I feel like smaller defenders can get inside of his wingspan and bother him. Like, really pest defenders, they get inside. It's like a, it's like if a, it's a, if a six foot six boxer was facing a, a five foot ten boxer like the smaller guy would get inside would get inside could get inside of the wingspan you know what i mean and, and cause yeah. damage that way and i feel like that's when he tur- that's when he gets loose with the basketball and that's where some of the turnovers um are, ge- are generated from with Halliburton. well and, and i think that's a really good point because i think that's what concerns me about him mm-hmm. versus the comparison with sga sga is so good if, if he gets inside the three point lane in the lane line. Yeah. And or three point line the lane line. And he and he understands he's got a smaller defender on him. He's just gonna turn his back to you. He's gonna back mm-hmm. you down. He's gonna herky jerk you all the way to the rim. He's so freaking good at that. I mean his yep. his style was unlike anything we've ever Who seen. Who drafted SGA by the way? I forgot. <laughs> what, what, yeah, yeah. Uh, man, don't come on, Rich. It's, yeah. sad time. Um, yeah, it's, not quite, it's not quite Donovan Mitchell levels, but it, no, that's uh, true. That's true. It, it's still a thing, though. I guess it's it's damn close. Um, yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I so that's with Halliburton because it cascades and what I was going to bring up about him, Brian is number one. I don't know. I think he has that skill set with his ball handling and his creativity of getting to the rim, uh, especially against smaller defenders, but. He's 175 pounds. Yeah. I mean, at least that's what he's yeah. listening. Like he's I thought, so SGA. Skinny, he's so skinny. I thought SGA had to to gain weight, and I think he probably did put on some weight, some some positive weight mm-hmm. uh, his rookie season. But Halliburton is so thin, and yeah. that is going to really be a factor in the NBA that it wasn't in the Big Twelve. Yeah, he definitely yeah. didn't get that freshman 15 or sophomore 15 or whatever. <laughs> he he didn't add that weight. So I, I personally think that he's probably better suited off ball. Uh, with mm-hmm. the occasional secondary ball handling player on the court. That's that's kind of mm-hmm. where I view him. So SGA is a good comparison, but I, I would rather trust SGA leading my team as a point guard than Tyrese Halliburton. A couple other things I'll, I'll throw in on, on Halliburton. Like as far as pick and roll goes, it, it's it feels like it's, I mean, he he's a genius passer. Uh, I think he was, I mean, arguably the best pocket passer in college basketball this season. Like really slick right-handed pocket passes. Um, Iowa State moved the access point of those pick and rolls. It wasn't just like 
high ball screen flat one five pick and roll like they ran a lot of uh you know Halliburton comes off a pin down or a handoff into uh into the into the ball screen or sometimes they would just run them off like a little baseline rub screen and they would that action would did go right into the little like side pick and roll action in like some of the passes he threw like he he's he's curling right and he's able to throw it the pass with his the pocket pass with his right hand back to left to the usually condit roll into the hoop and just some just gorgeous passes. He's phenomenal at finding weak side shooters. Like can can just has is tall, has great mm-hmm. vision, has great feel, and has an understanding for throwing guys open. And he just has, he has great body control. And this is where, even though he's skinny, I do think you see some of his strengths because he throws laser passes cross court to the opposite corner, to the opposite wing, sometimes going against across, like going, throwing it back across his body, like a, away from the direction he's actually going in, especially if he's going left. I do feel like when he, when he's operating pick and roll, if he's going right, that's when he actually has a chance of getting all the way to the rim. If he's going left, maybe he'll shoot a pull-up shot, but more than likely he's going to try to hit the roller with a pocket pass, or he's going to look to the opposite wing for a, for a corner shooter. And I think sometimes in the situations he gives up the ball a little early, like there were some late clock situations last year where you're like, no, 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 force the, I want you to force the issue right now. Like you're making the right play by giving it to the open big guy. That's like popping into space, 16 feet from the hoop. But like, five seconds left, man, go to the rim, get, get fouled. Like you're the best player out here. Um, I think again, maybe that's a bit of a knock on him again as a, as a primary guy. And I, I was sort of saying this a second ago about his ability to throw guys open as far as like, uh, it comes to like passing on transition, like hit ahead passes. I think Halliburton and Trey Jones at Duke were like, are like on another level as far as like division one guys this season. Um, Trey Jones is a genius at that. I don't know if Halliburton's quite to that level, but man, he's really freaking close. And he's doing it with, uh, he's not six one doing it. He's six foot five and doing it. He has some just great passes, um, some grab and go potential. He gets a lot of steals and a lot of those steals afterwards. He's immediately heads up looking to make plays down court. Richie, you touched on this a second ago, but he has that, like that smart point guard gene, that smart guard gene of, the ball moves faster than the man. I'm going to force the action. Like I'm throwing the ball down court. I'm getting this, this I'm getting this sucker down court. We're, we're getting the layup on this possession. And, and I like that about him because you see some of the comparisons with Lonzo as well. I, I think ball is such a hard comparison just because like, he's so damn fast. Like Lonzo is such a track star. Halliburton's feel and flow on the court are, are similar, more, they're similar to they're more close to S, to SGA, you know what I mean, or to 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 Dejounte Murray than they are to Lonzo. But I think Lonzo's just in general is such a hard uh, comparison because he is he's just so so freaking fast. Well, he's gonna fit yeah. somewhere for the point Brian just made, hitting up, grabbing the rebound, yeah. getting the owl, and hitting up the floor. It's how Jason Kidd made it to the Hall of Fame. He just hit yeah. up the floor constantly. I mean, he just hit up the sideline. Yeah. Uh, and the guy, I mean, so anyways, he has a good feel for the game. He has a high IQ. I mean, I think that that is a great point to highlight, Brian, just with this prospect in general, is his feel for the game, his ability to understand how to throw guys open. That was well said. Um, and then I, I, I know we're, maybe we're running a little long on Halliburton here, but I would want to mention into he's an excellent help defender. 
like a really, really good help defender, a very good communicator. You can see him calling out when he's on the weak side, calling out actions, pointing stuff out. He's very, he's a very vocal player, moves around a lot in terms of hand signals. Like, I just think he's going to be, he's going to help the floor of your defense if you put him out there. We care so much about team defense with these prospects, right? Yeah, I mean, obviously we like guys that could, that could have great one-on-one defense. And I think Halliburton's an okay one-on-one defender, but he's an excellent excellent team defender and that's where you see his length bother people like he's able to just guys try to throw passes over the top of him that they think he can't get to especially when iowa state would press and he's just able to volleyball like get his hands up quickly and and deflect passes but you just see him high active hands tagging rollers closing out on shooters um and his steals numbers are are monsters 2.7 steals per 40 minutes this season 2.2 steals per 40 for his career, a 3.8% steal rate. These are, I mean, these are monster, monster numbers um, from, from a point guard. Uh, and yeah, I just think he was a pest both on the ball and off the ball where he, I think he's also a pretty good assignment rebounder. And the guy, this goes, this speaks even to his feel for the game. Like the ability to on rebounds, like tip it to a teammate. You know what I mean? Like not, this isn't Cole Anthony, like, yeah, let me barrel in and let me go steal some rebounds from my big guys. Like Alberton has the ability to just like, I need to tip the ball this way so he can get the rebound and then get it to me. And then I'm forcing the ball up the court. I, I like that. He's seeing two moves ahead. I think on, in some of these scenarios where you're maybe not seeing it with some other guards that are yeah similar to his age. I think he surprised some, some shooters on closeouts because he's so long as well too. You just don't expect him to be able to to get to some of these shots, especially if he's you know coming around a ball screen or, or a down screen. Like he's able to almost like reach around and, and contest. And uh, one last thing I'll throw in too about his just individual defense. Like again, he needs to gain weight, but you do see sometimes like guards would come around the ball screen, he would track behind, and they point guards would like get him on their hip, and so they'd have Halliburton like behind them. And they would they would think that they could like get a shot off. Alex shoot it out in front of them. Like he's behind me. I don't need to worry about him. But again, the the reach that he has, like he's able to just play from behind and contest shots or block some of those shots. He I mean, he got a couple of blocks last season by just literally from behind guys just tipping shots out when they thought they had him cleared. I think that requires some strength because guys are you know barreling into him to try to create separation. He's able to was able to stay sturdy at times and and still create the the disruption plays so uh, i really like him as a defender i think he has some serious upside on that end a one word answer before we go on to the next prospect would you draft this guy in the top 10 and i'm gonna go first i i would say no yes yes as well i would draft him in the top 10 okay all right let's go on to our next prospect uh we have usc freshman Center, uh, I think sometimes maybe people consider him a power forward. Uh, Nyeka Ngongwu, if I can pronounce that correctly. Uh, it's a mouthful there. Double uh, O-O, whatever you want to call him. Freshman, uh, Southern Cal. I think out of the prospects that we're talking today, he is my favorite. There's one translatable skill that's going to be uh, showcased on the next level is his length and his ability to race shots at the rim. Uh, he is on the offensive side. He is mainly a pick-and-roll lob threat, and also he has the ability to play down in the post. I think that's what I like about him the best on the offensive side. He does finish around the rim with either hand, almost like a Miles Bridges, where you just don't know if he's going to go over his left shoulder or right shoulder. He does both of those 
really, really well. Uh, he also creates space with his screens. Uh, he attacks the rim quickly. He doesn't really stop the flow of the game. So he may not be the best passer on this, you know, USC Trojan team, but he keeps the ball moving. He's not like a great passer by any means, but it's not like he's holding up the ball and he's a ball stopper by any means. Good athlete, very versatile player. Uh, right now, he does not have a shot. But to me, his form is, is better than Halliburton's. But it's just it's just smoother. But it doesn't go in quite as often. Or he's not taking the volume of shots from mid-range and, and clearly not from three. And then, obviously, with his length, like I mentioned before, with the shot blocking, it's going to affect him uh, or you know, make him a, a positive on, on the boards as well. Spencer, I'll throw it over to you. Uh, what, what do you like most about uh, Agangwu? Uh, he's a freak athlete. He's really quick off his feet. He's, I think, pretty coordinated for a guy of his size. Um, you mentioned the post, um, you know, skill. He, he can score with both hands. He's got pretty dang good footwork. I mean, he's, I, I think I watched one half of USC play basketball this year. It was back in January. I want to say early January. And I, I just like, I almost forgot he was on the floor a lot. I think I remember tweeting that out and, and that, and that kind of made me – gave me cold feet, I guess. But that, now once I dug in a lot more on Sunday, I put like four hours into this, I came away saying, no, nah, there's a lot of skill here. There's a lot of upside. I, you know, defensively, I think that's probably what I like the most, Richie. I think he has the ability to switch – probably comfortably across three positions. We'll see if he can switch on to point guards and, you know, and, and quick uh, pingy lead guards and stay in front of them. But really athletic for a guy that's 6'10", with what appears to be a pretty solid wingspan uh, and really good instincts as just a rim protector shot blocker for a guy that is kind of in that four and a half position. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think he's a pretty dang sure he's a five on the yeah, next level. So. But uh, but he, but he is a four and a half, you know, kind of size. And I think that in his mind, it sounds like from listening to some interviews, he kind of thinks he's a four. <laughs> so that's going to be an issue on the next level. But yeah, I mean, just just an athletic guy that has some offensive skill and defensively, you just like how many you know different areas he can he can switch on. Now I'll say this. Uh, he has some defensive mechanics, especially in the pick and roll that really worry me and i don't know if that's just him not thinking his way through the game quick enough or it's him just being a little having a little bit of a shy personality having a character that's not an alpha kind of character he'll play in pick and roll situations with his arms to his side standing straight up kind of react a little slowly he allows himself to get pushed around on the defensive and offensive glass when he's really in like perfect position way too often and so you watch those kind of things and it makes you try to identify well what is the reason for that I, I tend to think it's not because he's uh, thinking is he can't think his way through the game quick enough. I think it has more to do with maybe he's just a little bit of a shy uh, type of kid at this point in his development. I think you can tap into that kind of stuff because when he is in position and he does make a decision to go after a rebound, you're not beating him to it and you're not going to out physical him to it. So I, I think he's a guy that he needs to land in the right situation. He's he's raw in certain aspects of the game, especially as a big that will grant him 20-plus minutes a night. 
pick and roll coverage. He stinks at it right now. He's got to get better. I mean, you know, so it, you can mention all these great tools, but a big in the NBA that can't guard in the pick and roll is not going to play. And he's way behind right now in that area. But again, when you look at the athleticism, uh, you look at the coordination, um, I actually, you know, in the free throw line, he was pretty good. I actually yeah, think there is a jump shot to tap into yep. a little bit here. And then just his ability to score out of the post. I, I, there's there's a lot to like yeah. here, but he is he does have a factor of rawness that is going to take two to three years to, to get over. Brian, I'll let you get to this real quick, but uh, you, Spencer, you made a point about the pick-and-roll defense. You know, he's not a player when you look at him just based off of his size, his athletic ability, his just naturally gifted, you know, athletic ability in his body. He's not a guy that you're going to pencil in as a guy that's just going to be a drop zone type of pick-and-roll player. He is somebody that you can expect to be out and hedging hard and, and getting mm. out in front of the pick and roll. Maybe he doesn't always show it, but I don't think it's one of those things where he's kind of like penciled in as this guy that's always going to be a drop scheme type of guy because that's not the case. Well, yeah, real quickly, before Brian jumps in, he was asked to pretty much drop exclusively at USC. You know, they, depending on personnel, they tried to trap some guards in that league, but most of the time he was sitting back. So that also plays a factor yeah. to, to some of his laziness. You know, right. they were letting him off the easy way. He's going to have to learn to play defense on that end, though. Yeah, the I mean, the, the, the two biggest swing pieces for him are – you know, what does the jump shot look like when he really decides to stretch it out? I mean, there's some face-up shots from him last year, and Spencer noted he shot a pretty good clip at the free throw line. And then just like, can he be, what is the pick and roll? How does the pick and roll defense develop? It should get better. It's always really hard for young bigs, and he's just 19, doesn't turn 20 until December. Uh, and like, can he become a switch guy too? Uh, I mean, those those are sort of like the swing pieces. I, I feel like uh, as far as like creating the, the upper ceiling of what this guy could be as an NBA player. Athletically, I think the things that jump off the page for me most are his ability to high point the ball on both ends. Like where, he, where he's able to get some blocks are, I mean, he gets to a, a territory that not a lot of guys can get to um, that aren't already in the NBA as far as being able to pin shots or come over and contest help shots. And then his ability to high point the ball offensively too, catching the ball in traffic, catching the ball on the break, being able to spin, contort his body, the body control required while, while being as explosive into the air as he is. It's, it's really impressive. Um, and I think that jumps out the most to me. And, and that in turn also fits with his ability to finish around the rim, 66% shooting at the rim in the half court, which is a big number this year. And he's just so explosive off the court on that first jump on offensive rebounds or on, you know, cut dunks or, or whatever. And I think he's pretty smooth out of the, the pick and roll to his ability to sort of like spin right into that action and create a, a passing target for the ball handler. Um, pretty solid 58 dunks for double O this year. That's 2.7 dunks per 40 minutes, which, uh, if you're counting at home, that is a lot, um, averaged over two dunks per game. Uh, one of 15 division one players this season with at least 50 or more dunks. So those are big numbers. And then you guys touched on his post game a little bit too. Double O, top 10 nationally among players with a 100 or more post-up possessions uh, in both post-up field goal percentage, 63%, and post-up efficiency, 1.13 points per uh, possession. Pretty efficient despite playing in a relatively cramped offense, like very rarely played with like a stretch big next to him. And USC was uh, number 293 nationally in three-point attempt rate this season, just 32%. So one of those guys that with a little more space, like he turned the ball over yeah. 
on almost 21% of his post-up possessions this season. Like, you'd like to see yeah. that number go down. And, and, and so I think he was playing in a bit of an airplane bathroom at, uh, at Southern Cal this season, too. Yeah, they played with two bigs. Uh, I mean, opening lineup and closing lineup a lot. I can't remember the the other one, seven footer with the last name starts with a P. Um, but yeah, they played with two bigs a lot. You know, I, a lot of Mobley, a lot of Mobley. Yeah, yep. You know, I think with him too, it's it's how he's used offensively immediately. You know, a team at six ten, like I said earlier, I think he is a little bit of a four and a half. Um, that's certainly how he's going to see himself. How does a team start to develop him? Do they try to force him to the corner or do they put him in as many pick and rolls as possible? Right? Like that, that's going to have a lot to do, do with his roll. development. Yeah. I mean, if you're the Orlando magic, you're going to try to force him to the corner and make him play four. <laughs> yeah, if you're right. just about any other team in the NBA, you're probably going to put he, him in five. And, if, he, if it's the magic, they're going to have him running angle pick and roll. Like <laughs> right, right. He, and Aaron, he and Aaron Gordon taking turns running small forward pick and roll for the magic in the half court. Right. But I, I, again, I came away really, really liking him as a prospect. I, I threw out a few comparisons if we want to transition to okay. that piece of yeah, it. I got some pushback about my likely comparison. But, you know, I think he's got a Miles Turner esque kind of ceiling. Um, he, he's a little bit more coordinated. And I wouldn't say as athletic as Miles Turner. He's very athletic, but maybe a little bit more coordinated than Miles. Uh, floor of Noah Vonla. They're actually pretty similar athletes. Um, Okongwu's probably got a little bit better of a feel for the game at this point. And then I said likely uh, of Tristan Thompson, and that, that wasn't received real well. And I get why. I mean, I understand that he does a lot of things way, way better than Tristan Thompson did, certainly athletically yeah. uh, at the age of 19. But I think they could end up having a similar impact on the game. Why, why would you say that, Spencer? Well, I think that I'm not – totally convinced that Okongwu's feel for the game will ever get there to the point where he's going to be this lead five on a good NBA team. I, I do feel like it's more likely that he turns into a utility player. So the reason I made that comparison is just considering they're very similar. They're, they're similar builds, not quite similar athletes, mm -hmm. but I think Okongwu can tap into those utility player as a big kind of things you need like rebounding, right. Yeah. And like shot blocking yeah. and like being yeah. able to guard a pick and roll. I just don't know. He's ever going to become this elite rim running, uh, great screen setting, great pick and roll defense kind of guy. That's going to keep him on the floor as a five for 30 minutes a night at six ten. I'm not convinced of that. So really that's why I landed on that utility, big kind of comparison of, of Thompson. Yeah. And Thompson's not a bad player. I think offensively, he's a little bit limited. I think that's probably why you got some pushback on that. But uh, I, I think I fall somewhere in between a Bam Adebayo and a more athletic Hassan Whiteside. I think Hassan Whiteside, you, you can see the, the, block potential on the defensive side but he just doesn't assert himself himself enough on the court that's kind of why I dislike Whiteside uh, but I do like him as an athlete more athletic than Whiteside but he's not necessarily the passer that Bam Adebayo is and I think yeah. that if he can have that face-up game like Bam Adebayo and not just a pick and roll lob threat he can find himself somewhere in between those two players I think that's yeah. I think that's good. I think that's good. And and two, real quick, BG, and then jump in. I I think that you're correct in saying the white side. His his uh, body language reminds me so much of Hassan Whiteside. And that's, that's a red really, flag, dude. And that's a red flag. I mean, that's the one thing I took away from this saying, man, this makes me nervous. But 
I just feel like there's more to tap into there. I think in that, I may put it in my notes here, study more of Tristan Thompson film, especially defensively. And maybe that's why I landed on that comparison. But yeah, white side thing concerns you a little bit, bad body language. I don't hate the Thompson comp because a, a couple of reasons. One, like they're, they're like prototypical, like shorter centers, right? Like long wingspan, good athletes. I think part of it as well too, is it's like, I get that Cleveland has been no man's land for the NBA for a couple of years now. And even when they were rocking and rolling with LeBron, you know, Tristan was sort of at best, like uh, a complimentary piece, but like, you got to remember Tristan Thompson was a guy that helped win an NBA finals for this team was a guy because he developed the ability to switch out on the guards, like, and had a little bit of a short roll game as well too. Like that made him a very important piece on a title winning team that is one of the most important title winning teams in modern NBA history, like the 2016 Cavaliers that defeated the 72 win uh, or 73 win Golden State Warriors. And a guy like Tristan Thompson, I mean, you can say what you want about the LeBron connection or whatever, but like a guy that was able to command eight, eight figures a year in annual salary over a, a very expensive contract that, you know, it sort of came at the right time with the, the media rights explosion as well. But like that, that gets baked into the cake uh, with this guy, in, uh, in my opinion. So I don't think Thompson's a bad comparison. Like, Bam is, like, the, like, absolute ceiling. outer limit ceiling. You know what I mean? But he, he, Bam's going to be like that for a lot of prospects that are, like, four and a half guy, you know, 4.5 or whatever. And uh, it's probably important to remember that, like, we didn't see a lot. Of, like, Bam, it, Spencer was just saying this with as it – pertains to double O, but it's like part of it is where you land. Like it's situational bam landed in Miami. Like talk about the, what, are, what are the best places you could possibly land? Like the winning culture, the player development. Um, they're going to allow him. To, yeah. They're going to allow him to test the limits there. And that's what, what he is. Yeah. 100%. And like, you know, more than likely that's not going to be the case for uh, whoever drafts Ogongwa uh, with the, the start of the, the 2020 draft. Um, but you, you, you never know. You never know how those things will uh, work out blocks numbers for, for double O three and a half blocks per 40 minutes, um, almost 10% block rate, 9.8%. Um, he was one of nine division one players this season with 8% block rate, 60% true shooting, thanks to that pretty good free throw clip and 20% usage. Uh, he cleared all of those benchmarks pretty easily. Uh, I, I was pretty generous with the, the sliders looking at that, but some other good names that hit those clips, Jalen Smith from Maryland, Nick Richards, Kentucky, Austin Wiley, Auburn, and Yudoka Azubuke from uh, Kansas. So not in terms of prospects, I mean, Smith's really the only one of that group. That's probably well thought, really well thought of as a as a prospect. I don't know where people land on on Nick Richards or Azabuke quite yet, but um, but that's some good that's some good in terms of production. Those are that's pretty good company to be in for us for your freshman year. Last that, and then I know we got to move on. But box plus minus, if you subscribe to that, uh, third most impactful player in college basketball. Yeah. Sorry, Brian, if you just mentioned that one, but uh, no, I, no, I did not. But he, both he and Halliburton over ten uh, BPM this season, two of the best in all of college hoops. Yeah, and that, that's usually a pretty good indicator on just about any level. I mean, you toss in a lot of stuff into that number. So, yeah, the can I, let me can I read off this one last thing? This is backtracking very quickly to Halliburton, but going back to the 2007 2008 season, uh, Halliburton was one of one of 12 play or pardon me, 
It was one of the 12 players in the country this season with a BPM of, of 10 or more. And going back to the 2007-2008 season, Halliburton, one of 28 players with box plus minus of at least 10, an assist rate of 30%. Some of the other names on that list, Steph Curry, Draymond Green, Trey Young, Fred Van Vliet, Lonzo Ball, Marcus Smart, Ty Lawson, Evan Turner. Uh, I believe uh, there were a few other big names, but so those were some of the other ones that really popped out. And again, that's with reference to Tyrese Halliburton. All right, let me do a quick question like I did at the end of Halliburton. So for Onyeka, would you draft him in the top five, yes or no? I'm going to go yes with, with this. Oh, man, that one's really hard. I knew you were going to say top five, yeah. too. Um, yeah. And that could mean five. That could mean five. Yeah, right. Uh, gun to my head, yeah. Yes, as well. Although, like, I would feel really queasy about that. <laughs> yeah. drafting, any, drafting any center that yeah. high is, is going to make me Right. We could probably get into that with Wiseman as well, too. Exactly. Well, exactly. Perfect, perfect segue. Perfect segue, I mean, Two centers in this draft. There, a lot of teams are going to have to ask themselves that question. And not only that, Richie, but maybe at some point, and maybe it's the end of the podcast, a lot of these guys, including Okongwu, I mean, I imagine he comes out, but there's not going to – it doesn't seem like there's going to be a pre-draft process. Yeah, so a lot man. of these guys have to make a – it sounds like the NCAA, or uh, excuse me, the NBA and the Players Association does a ni- has done a nice job putting together an advisory committee to give mm-hmm. these guys some guidance. But, I mean, who knows what is made up of that and, and how much agents are going to trust it. So – a lot of these guys are making blind decisions, and so I, I, I think there will at least be one or two guys in the what we see on mock draft top tens that are like, look, I'm going back to school. That would just be my prediction. There's too much uncertainty. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's transition to the last player, and we're going to spend the least amount of time on him, James Wiseman, just because there's the least amount of tape on him. Uh, there's some definitely some controversy that surrounds him. While at Memphis, he actually played for uh, Penny Hardaway in high school, and that's kind of where this controversy stems from. Uh, Hardaway helped his family move from Nashville to Memphis uh, by paying his family tens of thousands of dollars. Memphis was advised to sit Wiseman out because he was going to be deemed likely ineligible, quote unquote. Uh, He eventually did play, but was suspended 12 games, and he actually was the suspension was lasting until January 12th, I believe. And he actually declared for the draft five games before that suspension was up. And I think Memphis thought that he was going to play. I mean, I don't know why you would wait that long into the suspension to make that decision. So I don't know if people were getting into his ear about that. So I think, you know, factoring into the pre-draft process with Wiseman, you know, there's not a lot of tape on him. And he has not played. I don't know if that helps him or hurts him, you know, showcasing his skills and just the controversy that surrounds him. But yeah, Wiseman coming into this draft uh, was always seen as a top three pick. 7'1", 240, freshman, uh, 18 years old. I think he'll be 19 by the draft or whenever the draft is. <laughs> that may be uh, rangy guy lengthy, perfect lob threat, probably a little bit better of a lob threat than maybe double O there. But again, his length, like double O, allows him to block shots at the rim, grab those boards. He does clear out space with his body. And and he has a sound shooting release, even though he doesn't really showcase that three-point shot. There's no volume there. Uh, the question marks that I have with him and that you know people have noted over the course of the season is just his motor and his compete level. And he's definitely a player that relies on others to to kind of 
get him open. So if he's not playing with a you know a top tier point guard, I don't think he's going to be that effective. I think you can probably say that for a lot of players, but for him especially, you know, for all his measurables that he has, you know, he has to insert himself on the offensive side a little bit more. So only played three games at Memphis, close to 70 minutes. So there's not a lot on him, but he's always been projected to be that top three guy. So any thoughts, good or bad, on Wiseman here? Reminds me a little bit of Andre Aiden. Um, you know, just same kind of upside that no, that's undeniable. I think, you know, Richie, you, you kind of said this, elite rebounding and shot blocking potential. Pretty good. I mean, not pretty good. Very good athlete for his size. I think he's going to be a good transition big. He's going to be a highlight kind of guy um, when he gets those opportunities. Man, he's he's really, really, really raw to me, though, in terms of like him having the ball for more than two seconds. I start to hold my breath. He's one of those guys. You know, it's just like he's he's destined to make a really bad decision any second now. So So you have to limit what his role is offensively. Uh, I actually really like his – I mean, really like is probably strong. I, I like his approach to defense. I think he tries hard in the pick and roll. He gets down in the stance. His footwork stinks. But, like, the effort level he shows to attack point guards and not back down and, you know, keep his arms to his side and stand up and, and kind of retreat. He's not a retreater. He wants to go at the ball in pick and roll defense, which – and that was consistent back to his high school days. You can you can find actually quite a bit of tape from that too. Um, so I like that about him. But the, but the mechanics and the all that needs to be fixed. But I think that's fine. I think you can do that. The shooting form is decent. He's a lefty. All lefties have pretty decent shooting form. It looks fluid to me. For is that a like a baseball swing? One. All the lefties look good when they swing the bat. Yeah, exactly. They, they, they do, man. <laughs> exactly. I don't think it's like crazy to say he has some stretch five potential in the nba i mean he's already got a pretty good looking stroke i mean the thing with this guy there's two things number one is what i just mentioned about there's not going to be a pre-draft process and here's a guy who only played like three games last year or something like that mm-hmm. so he's probably going to benefit from the fact that there's not a pre-draft process because he was going to be one of the few guys where everybody was like, well, I I don't know about him, you know, coming Mm -hmm. into this summer. Well, now he's just going to be one of a bunch and he's got one of the highest upsides of all those other, all those others. So this is probably going to benefit him. But again, the second thing is just like the data set is so low. It is going to scare a number of those 30 teams away from him. They're just going to say, we're not, we're not doing this. This is not how we evaluate players. So, I, you know, I think he's probably a top five talent, but I will, I will end with this. I would not want to be the GM at picking number six with him still on the board, <laughs> if that makes sense. AKA the Hornets, yeah. Yeah, the there with 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 Wiseman, there's just so much cognitive dissonance, and it's on multiple fronts. There's a lot of cognitive dissonance in the pre-draft process between where like traditional types are valuing him and evaluating him as a, as a, as a top three pick or the, the, at one point in time, the number one pick, Uh um, in between where like people that really do like the nitty gritty draft writing draft coverage are a little lower on him. So there's that. I do think it's, I do think it's a little bit interesting and perhaps I'm projecting. So in, in speaking out of my depths here, but like, it kind of also feels like if it's interesting that it's sort of like the league insidery front office types that are the one that they're, they see the seven foot one frame 
and all the upside. And it's why Aiton went over Doncic two years ago, um, along with him going to the University of Arizona, which Robert Sarver, apparently that was a, a big point for him as well, too. But it's like, I just think it's a little bit funny because like the NBA is also going through this stretch the last couple of years where they're basically some teams have boiled down the, to a, a, a science almost that like, yeah, you know, the center position, totally replaceable. Like we just, we just need a guy in here to set screens and spin and dive to the hoop and then protect the rim. And even Houston is like, you know what? We don't even need that guy. Like, well, we, our point guard is our rim runner or our, our shooting guard in Westbrook. That's our rim runner. And so there's a, there's a dissonance between those two things for me as well, too. Um, I have, I have a fair amount of a fairly high degree of confidence that like James Wiseman is going to turn into a good rim running center. I mean, his catch radius is huge. Uh, as Spencer said, highlight guy, some of the two handed overhand dunks that he had at Memphis, even in a, a very small sample, uh, they look awesome. Like when he's running on a straight line, he's able to explode up and catch a lob or, or catch it on the, on the uh, dead sprint and not have to put the ball in the court and just rise up and spike it. Like it looks awesome. He's incredibly explosive, especially in the air. And um, so I, I feel pretty confident about that. I feel confident with him being a solid offensive rebounder, uh, a rim protector. So like that creates like somewhat of a floor, I guess, as a prospect, it's just like how high is that floor actually, if he never doesn't get to the outer limits of his potential, you know, if he doesn't develop some sort of playmaking craft and he doesn't seem to have amazing feel. And if he doesn't uh, become elite defensively, he just becomes like a, an okay shot blocker. Or if he doesn't ever figure out the way to, to actually like step out and, you know, either be able to isolate and score on the block, like Embiid style, which I don't think he's anywhere close to no, being able no, to do no, that no. right yeah, now. His post moves I mean, are not, he, no. He gets knocked off his spot. He wants to fade a lot on, on those like, you know, mid post shots, or if he doesn't figure out a three, you know what I mean? Which all of those things, they're just huge question marks. And if they do that, then yeah, Wiseman, you could have then tap into the, the aspects of what make him such a, a tantalizing prospect. But if that stuff doesn't happen, and if you deem that the probability of one of those things of, or of all of those things happening is, is low, then you really got to think really hard about this guy is, is someone that is worthy of a top five, a top 10 pick. Yeah. Just real quickly. I, I don't think the Clint Capella comparison is crazy. You don't like, if you've watched some film of Wiseman, you'd be like, what are you talking about this guy? I mean, cause he gets plenty of opportunities to score with the ball in his hands around mm -hmm. the post, which Capella has obviously never gotten certainly not in Houston at least. But I think that if you, if Wiseman never got those opportunities and was just strictly made a rim running center who had the role of what Clint Capella had in Houston to Brian's point, you kind of see where the floor is pretty high, right? Yeah. Like if, if what we're asking him to do and the system he's going in has the manpower to just say, no, 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 this is what you're doing. You're not getting yeah. these other opportunities. This is your role. So mm -hmm. I know I say this about every prospect. It, 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 it you know, matters where he goes, which it does. I mean, that's always true, I think. But for, for this guy, Wiseman, I think it's of uber importance because he could get drafted by a team that's going to allow him to explore. And unlike Bam Adebayo or even a Kongwu, double O, I don't think that James Wiseman is a prospect worthy of having the, the flexibility to explore his game because I just don't think that the IQ and the feel for the game, he's so far away from that that I just don't really think it's ever coming. Yeah. Uh, so if you limit what you ask him to do, I think you can get way more out of it. Right. I, I think it might be the fact that he's a lefty, but I compare him a lot to DeAndre Jordan. 
I mean, I think that's just kind of the role that I see him, the style of play. Yeah. Uh, whether it's the production, I'm not sure who's going to yeah. be better in the long run. But to me, I have yeah. more confidence in uh, Onyeka being a more versatile player than Wiseman. I just do. I mean, would you guys say the same? Like, o, double O is probably going to have more versatility in his game than maybe Wiseman would ever maybe have that potential to reach. At this point, for sure. I mean, he he has that, right? Like, he... He has a post-up game. He has a, I mean, it would have been nice to have seen more of, of Wiseman. Um, but in terms of, like, overall, like, does this guy check more boxes across the board? Yeah, like, I think Onyekwa does does currently at the moment, heading into the draft at least. Whether that causes him to be more coveted pick or the center one in the draft as opposed to Wiseman, uh, I, I'm not sure. Yeah, and I think that's a double-edged sword, too, because I, I think you're right, Richie. I think there is more to tap into with, with double O, but – you could spend five years trying to tap into that yeah. kind of like yeah. kind of like Charlotte has done with Malik Monk. And then year five, it shows up or he's not, you know, in the last year of his rookie, you, you yeah. know what I mean though? Right. But if yes. you know exactly the idea of what you want Wiseman to be and you implement that from day one, well, by year five, you're like, yes, yeah, is a no brainer. We're giving this guy an extension. But when you yeah. spend five years to tap, you know, untap this <laughs> pie in the sky idea of a player, you can actually really kill kill his development. It's just such an interesting proposition because we've gotten to this point where we're saying the center position, it's the most fungible position at a, at, that exists in the NBA. Like unless you have a beat in beat or towns or, you know, we're, we're just treating so many of these rim run guys like they're replacement level players or whatever. And then I, I don't, I don't know if I subscribe to all of that necessarily um, in general, but I understand the, the science and the thinking and the logic behind it. And then how Wiseman factors into that. Yeah, it, it's really interesting. I would just, I would prefer my, the, a team that I, whether I was a fan of a team or running a team, mm -hmm. I would not have to like to prefer to be on the seat of deciding like yay or nay on this guy. Like I'd like to have, I'd like to have more options than that. Well, I'm going to end it like this, like I did the other two. So top three, would you draft Wiseman top three? No. No. Okay. That's a three for three there. I, I would say no as well. So guys, thanks again for tuning in to another buzz beat. Hopefully this podcast occupied your time uh, while you guys are in your house. Again, stay safe, do all the necessary precautions for COVID-19. Uh, for Brian and Spencer, I am Richie. We'll see you guys next time. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.